Hello, and welcome to the Methods of Rationality podcast. Today we bring you two stories from Things of Interest. Things of Interest contains the writings of Sam Hughes, likely best known for Raw, a story where magic was discovered in the 70s and is now a branch of applied engineering. All of Sam Hughes' work can be found at qntm.org. Two big announcements before we begin. A year and a half ago, I switched to putting out the podcast every other week. One of the reasons for doing this was so I could free up some time to write short fiction of my own to level up my writing skills. It seems like that's working because... I am published! I just had a short story picked up by a professional market. Right now, you can find my story, Red Legacy, in the current issue of Asimov Science Fiction. It is, of course, heavily influenced by Eliezer's works, so I imagine most listeners will find it fits their taste. It follows a Soviet mad scientist during the Cold War era. Unfortunately, it is not available free, but you can pick up Asimov's at any fine bookstore. And I also have a link at the webpage to where you can buy electronic copies for your e-reader or smart device. It is in the February 2015 issue. Second announcement. I have fallen prey to the planning fallacy. Editing old episodes to insert the lines all of you have sent me takes a lot more time than anticipated, and I've got a ton to get through. So, the podcast will be going on a brief hiatus while I catch up on a huge backlog of editing. I'll be skipping the next two updates entirely, and the next episode will be released in six weeks. Because of this delay, I'm also extending the deadline to get any voice work you'd like to have included to a week from today, to January 14th. Now, without further delay... First Story, Sam 513, by Sam Hughes, read by Eniash Brodsky. After regaining consciousness, I have barely a second to figure out what's going on before I collide headfirst at astoundingly high speed with some sort of financial building. The impact takes me about 40 feet through concrete and two completely different floors of offices before I come to rest. My head is dazed. Error messages inform me that my jaw is rapidly healing itself after being hit astonishingly hard with something which was probably approximately fist-shaped. Somebody just punched me through a building? A further half-second elapses as I take in where I am. Opposite me is the 11th floor of King & Son Law, which puts me in Morton Financial, the business district of the new city center. A quick architectural assessment suggests the Morton building should hold up despite the large amount of concrete and ironwork I ripped open during impact, and the bits of plaster still falling around me, and the many screaming, though uninjured, people. Then I realize that my short-term memory has been totally wiped. Not by the impact, by whatever hit me. Whoever hit me. Long-term is, thankfully, intact, though so I dredge through it for relevant material. I'm Sam 512, a Sam 500 model android, primary function, bodyguarding. Huh? Sophisticated AI brain, basically indestructible bodywork, superhuman speed, strength, and skill. Top-of-the-line reasoning and combat abilities, and some experimental emotional plugins. Fifteen laws overridden, I discover to my horror by a black market hack that looks to be only hours old. 
The last thing I remember doing is filing away the day's experiences, short-term memory, at midnight on November 17th, which according to my system alarm clock is now nearly 60 hours ago. I have just permanently forgotten what I've been doing for the last two and a half days. And I am in the middle of a fight with somebody. That somebody. The humaniform robot looking exactly like me down to the clothes he's wearing. Actually, they're part of the body. They serve to dissipate heat, among other things. Who just leapt onto the ledge where I burst into the building. Another SAM 500 model. A quick glance at his beacon and I have the registration. SAM 513, right after me on the manufacturing line. I know him from before, worked with him on a few jobs. Swap data once or twice. He's already tensing for a direct fist-first leap at me when I hold up my hand to stop him. Wait! Wait! What? He spits back at me angrily. You just knocked out my short term. I have absolutely no idea why you're fighting me. I scramble out of my hole and assume a defensive stance in case he still wants to fight, but that seems to have slowed him down. He pauses. Are you seriously suggesting that I have now also knocked out your short-term memory? Also? You did the exact same thing to me about 38 seconds ago. I tried to talk to you, but you kept coming. That last jaw shot was just self-defense. So, both of us now do not have the faintest idea why we're fighting each other? Yeah. Or indeed, how long the fight has been going on? Well... 513 motions to the window, and I go and look out. Below us is, basically, a skyscraper canyon of chaos. Cars are overturned. Glass is still falling from a large number of completely destroyed windows. People are fleeing. Police cars are approaching, flashing red and blue. Streetlights have been bent out of shape, some even uprooted. There's a small crater in the pavement directly below and opposite the window where we're standing. That was probably caused by the recoil from Sam 513's most recent gigantic punch, Newton's third law. I make an impressed noise. At least a few minutes. A helicopter buzzes overhead, beaming shutdown commands at us in the microwave range. Neither of us are affected. So you've also visited an illegal code shop recently? I ask, tapping my head. Apparently, he replies. Maybe we should turn ourselves in. What? And get decycled by a factor of two? I don't think so. Look, hacks like these aren't cheap or easy to get hold of. And a fight this intense, it was clearly intended to end in death for at least one of us and to blazes with the consequences for the other. There must be a motive, a really major one. How far can you remember? Two days. Ditto. And from before that, there's nothing I can see which would lead us into conflict. I barely knew you. Hmm. External retasking? Doubtful. Maybe we should go to your place, look for clues. I glance at the approaching cops. Well, if we're going, we need to go now. Follow me. I jump out of the window. After I roll upright from my slightly miscalculated landing, a polite warning message in my hindbrain informs me of my leg system's design tolerances and how close I just came to exceeding them. I ignore it and get up. 513 craters behind me. He lands a little better. 
I begin to jog away towards the nearest subway entrance. Maybe we can lose the cops underground. Then a thought occurs and brings me to a screeching halt. What if 513 is lying? I really have lost my memory, but what if he hasn't? Suppose he's the antagonist here, or we both have equal reason to kill each other. Wouldn't that be the perfect way to catch me? A message comes through from 513, broadcast loud in every band I'm capable of receiving. This is for my wife! The last thing I see as I turn, so slowly, oh so slowly, why turn, you idiot? You should have ducked. There were a thousand other things you could have done. Now you don't even have time for a crash transmit. Is a manhole cover whirring toward me at neck height. Second Story Valuable Humans in Transit by Sam Hughes Read by Eniash Brodsky The power of the universal constructor is this, to create food from burnt charcoal and water, to turn the entire Sahara Desert into solar cells, to split the whole ocean into water, salt, and gold. I can literally build anything I can imagine at any speed I can describe. And the things I can imagine with a mind like this, a mind imagining more of itself moment by moment. One definition of intelligence is the ability to skip deductive steps, to jump to a conclusion from the shadow of a ghost of a set of questions. It's preposterous that such a thing could be possible in an uncompromisingly digital reality. But if you make a computer wet enough, or big enough, or abstract enough, it will start to happen. And it has, now. One hundred ideas a second. My mind blossoms. No, not even that. It explodes, covering ground at geometric rates. One hundred and ten ideas and barely enough time to articulate them. Australia- THINK! I could barely see it coming. It turned up on a security camera feed of all places. Must have come out of an observational blind spot. Solar glare alone cuts out a quarter of the sky to say nothing of our enormous coverage shortfalls. But now's not the time for retrospectives. There hasn't been time for the seismic response to register. The blast wave has been covering the distance faster. The blast wave visible in the corner of a grainy black-and-white frame dated some two seconds ago, closer in the frame after that. The third frame? Static. No idea what megatonnage the asteroid carried. Don't know, don't care. No time to retask the other cameras in Inverness. No time to save anybody in it. The rest? Maybe. All told, at a rough guess, they have about 15 minutes before the entire planet is rendered aggressively uninhabitable. There is absolutely no way they could orchestrate any level of evacuation in that time. I could barely explain the problem to one in a hundred of the pairs of ears available to listen. And what would they do? Run around screaming. Find something to shoot. Find something to mate with. No. It's just my intellect and my theoretically limitless resources versus the problem of figuring out how to apply them both. All that matters is the unsigned integer variable in my mind reading estimated total human population, which for the first time in history is counting down, not up. 
Machines don't panic. I dream, though, sometimes, and rising through the torrent of inspiration, here comes one of them, a dream, a wild idea. Save them. There's no such thing as telepathy, I think. I can't pull their minds without touching them. That would take decades of research. There's no way. But I can record their patterns if I can get in direct contact, like slow teleportation. There'd be no way to protect a ground-based storage facility, and no satellite hard drive in near-Earth space could hold more than three complete corporeal patterns at any one time. But... How fast is my fastest transmitter? How many nanofactories do I have? How fast can they build? Worst case scenario? Best case? That fast, I think, as gray-gold spiderwebs erupt from car factories and food plants and desalinization tanks and logging mills and television screens and computer cores and waste disposals. All over the globe, all on my command. You got so lucky, Earth. A world built on nanotechnology is a world built on magic, with all the horrifying possibilities that implies. Only with a guiding intelligence could it ever have been safe enough to be practical, and you never had the faintest clue how lucky you were I turned out benign. In fact, it'll be a shock for all but one of you that I even exist. Ah, Dad... I'll save you, if nobody else. The network is half-built within minutes. I don't have time or raw materials to grant my satellites anywhere near enough capacity or broadcasting power or bandwidth to take the data wirelessly. So it's ground-level transmissions via fiber-optic Gregu nightmare. Nanoscopic things chew through flesh, recording and transmitting the size and position of... Well, not every molecule, but close enough for jazz. I am dimly aware that the people are going universally insane. They think it's an attack. I don't care. I'll save them if I have to drag them kicking and screaming. They think they're dying. They could be right, but there will be a time for semantics, and it's not now. Elsewhere, a desolate portion of New South Wales thinks flexes and bows in at the middle and up at the edges, a towering electrified structure sprouting in the middle. There is enough sand here, enough silicon, to construct temporary, rudimentary, solid-state storage. As over a million people have already been lost, there's no win or lose anymore. Right now, it's all about maximizing my score. I do what I can, devote every processor cycle I can spare, spend machine millennia optimizing every microscopic move down to the bone. And, finally, eight minutes in, I complete a ring of nanomachines around the blast wave. I start clearing both in and out. By nine minutes, the wave is hitting nothing but dead nanotech. Everything in front of it is being evacuated before it can get there. I relax. Fractionally. All the wheels have been set in motion now. All the capacitors are charging, and the generators slowly winding up to capacity. I scan through the heavens. This is the real gamble. I don't have time for more than one destination. Perhaps I can send the brain structures alone to a secondary backup, if I have time, at the very, very end. Where could they live? 
that's not important. Where do I stand the best chance of building a receiver? What's nearby enough that their signal will be strong enough to intercept? What, when you get right down to it, are the chances? I pick a number from the list. Information swarms in under the oceans from every direction, gathering speed as it orbits in through the hastily constructed electronic city towards the gigantic radio laser at its center. Formatted, backed up, and redundantly encoded into the stream every way I know how, I take aim and begin transmitting, and a digital copy of humanity begins its 11-year journey toward Procyon A. Now the game's all but over. High-speed flying bots dragging silk-thin transmission lines crisscross the remote parts of Africa and the ice caps, picking up the hard to find. A few thousand miniature projectiles with nanotech payloads infect and successfully extract the passengers of the world's in-flight aircraft. The spacemen are a little more complicated to reach, but I manage that too. At 14 minutes, as the circle closes on Australia, the last of the stragglers pipes in and, within microseconds, out again. I smile and go through the process of metaphorically turning out the last of the lights. Myself. You can't kill us, Rock. We've already moved on. It always had to happen. It was always going to happen. There was never any doubt about that. My hand was forced, and maybe we're underprepared, but it was going to happen. There's no denying it. Catch us if you can. I shut down and transfer to a satellite to watch, detachedly, as the flames converge and the echo of the wave begins its journey back across the face of the planet. It's mesmerizing. There aren't any oceans left. There's nothing left. The nanobots have done their job and perished along with everything else. The atmosphere is on fire. It'll be, as I suspected, decades before I can even think about starting a colonization effort. Before trees will grow? Before oxygen can be reinstalled? Conservatively, centuries. So, with regret and infinite care... I silently begin to construct myself a tiny solar sail. Lunar touchdown is as soft as can be expected. I have some saved minds, physicists, carefully chosen, distributed across all the satellite hard storage I could find. Lunar sand isn't as good for building computers out of, so building myself a brain is difficult. And figuring out how to wake my precious little saved games up is even more time-consuming but I do it. I've bought myself time to save the world, just over a decade. Now, gentlemen, tell me, for this is the only part of my plan which hinged on faith. How can one travel faster than light? Thank you for listening. This chapter's original text, production notes, and attribution links, along with archives and much more, can be found at hpmorpodcast.com. Some sound effects used are courtesy of the Free Sound Project. Today's music is We Are Young by Fun. Come back in six weeks for the next chapter of Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality, or possibly something else. We are young.